Hello, and welcome to Fuck Yeah, the podcast where we say fuck yeah to erotic stewardship. My name is Robin. I'm one of your co-hosts, and I'm here with Sarah. Sarah, you seem kind of happy today. You have a little glow about you. Oh, that's nice. I feel very tired, but... Mm. I'm glad that I'm glowing. I think I'm very excited about today's guest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you have any fuck yeahs going on? Is that maybe part of the reason? Yeah, I do have a fuck yeah. I, you know this, that Andrea and I celebrated our five-year anniversary recently. Mm -hmm. So lovely. It felt to me like a threshold. I really felt like I was walking through a moment in time where, I mean, she asked me this time last year to marry her. And I think it took me this year to get caught up. Hmm. I think I finally arrived. So you've, the engagement, the fiance-ness is finally present. Yeah. Like it's in my body. I'm feeling it wholeheartedly. Like I think I said yes from a space of deep knowing Mm. And this anniversary, it just felt like I just kind of looked around like, wow, this is so beautiful, this life that we have together. And I'm excited about what's going to come next and sort of shedding a little bit of the immature, I guess is the best word that I can use for it, youthful energies of the start of our, like the start of our relationship was very erotically charged. Mm -hmm. That was the core thing that brought us together. So certainly I don't think either of us embarked on this relationship thinking that it was going to be a long-term relationship. And that's actually, I think because I dated in my, I, I was so influenced by wanting to have a kid Mm -hmm. Um, in my early relationships that I oriented myself that way. Mm -hmm. And this relationship has been about just orienting myself in the present moment and then Mm -hmm. continuing to choose it and continuing to choose it and continuing to choose it. And so I wanted to put together an erotic ritual to really honor the roots of us coming together. And initially I had thought about reaching out to Anastasia from <laughs> our sex magic episode. So the our finale in season one, uh, one of our most popular episodes, mm-hmm. actually. So if you haven't listened to it, definitely go back and find Fuck Yeah to Sex Magic. And I did use her grounding exercise. Oh, great. From that episode, because, you know, it's recorded and that's how we kicked things off. But it was... Oh, you listened to the recording? Yes. Oh, that's so That's smart. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a really nice moment for me to realize I don't need an outside person to come and do this for Mm -hmm. us. Like we have everything between the two of us to create an erotic sacred space Mm. and the energy is there. And certainly, you know, as we're years into our relationship, it's not the centerpiece of the relationship, Mm -hmm. but knowing that we can call upon it and be really intentional about kind of building that fire. And Mm -hmm. I literally built a fire, like we have a fireplace now. So we put out a mattress in front of the fireplace (laughs) and had the fire going and listened to the, 
grounding exercise that Anastasia does with her clients and then took it from there and set intentions and did a whole bunch of really just wonderful, sexy, hot fucking. (laughs) That's so great. Yeah, it was really, it was really wonderful. I want to point out that I'm sure you guys did gifts or whatever as well, but to approach anniversaries or kind of like regular events in our relationships in this way where it's not just like, oh, it's our anniversary. I'm going to get them a gift. I'm going to write them a card. We're going to go out to dinner or whatever, but to intentionally create a really erotic safe, sexual, intimate space together and to kind of uh, ritualize it in a way that, um, you know, brings everybody's attention into the present and into this moment and marking this this occasion as special and what you guys marking what you've achieved and then to use sex magic, basically. I mean, that's what yeah. a lot of what um, Anastasia taught us is like this sexual energy that you're cultivating you know, put your intentions behind that and use that energy for for good or whatever. I mean, what we did in our ritual was really about honoring, you know, the five years that we've spent together and mm-hmm. setting intentions for the next five mm-hmm. and really about the energy that we want to have in the relationship and then using that erotic energy that you build toward like directing it towards that intention. And I made an altar piece with some things representing this past five years. So now we always have that as a touchstone mm. that we can use. And oh my gosh, it's so funny. Actually, <laughs> I went to your favorite crystal shop, mm-hmm. Spellbound, mm-hmm. and um, got a couple stones there to have as part of this altar. And the wonderful queer gay man who helped me there. I told him, you know, it's the five year. I was initially looking for petrified wood because wood is the five year thing and they didn't Mm -hmm. have anything great. We found great stuff. He was fabulous. But he's like, oh, what are you doing to celebrate? You're going out to a nice dinner. Mm -hmm. And normally I don't disclose. I'm fairly Mm -hmm. private. And I was like, I think we're going to do a sex ritual. And his jaw literally dropped and he was like, uh, have you done that before? Because, <laughs> you know, I think I present kind of like a nice straight lady to people. Oh, so he wasn't shocked by the information that you would do that. He was shocked that you specific because I'm like, don't they do this shit all the time over there? <laughs> well, I think that maybe, yeah, there was probably some dissonance with it being me. I think it is like he had defaulted to that like comp het mm-hmm. uh, standard of which you were just speaking to of like you go and you have a nice dinner and you get mm-hmm. red roses, right? And so then the mm-hmm. thing that comes out of my mouth is totally <laughs> different. And he had not done a sex ritual before. And so he was asking me questions and I said, well, no, I have done them. Mostly I do them with myself. I haven't done them with a partner before. And so we just got into this really nice conversation about how sexual energy can be ritualized. And it was a wonderful exchange. And it was a nice moment for me of like, no, just bring your authentic self. Like there are going to be times where it is not safe to do that. But I'm starting to feel those grumblings of I'm going to be doing that more and more of yeah. just like let like actually answering the question instead mm-hmm. of like, oh, I don't really know, you know, like 
I just was like, oh, we're going to, no, I think I'm, we're going to do a sex ritual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. It was I'm great. like, lately, I'm like, don't ask a question you don't want the answer to. Okay. <laughs> you got to prepare for the answer. You know, I'm obsessed with this place. And it, it, anybody who's coming to Los Angeles, or if you have not been to this place in Los Angeles and you live here, it's just like one of the, mwah, my favorite places. So unique. It's like a gay, gay witch fabulousness. Spellbound Sky is the name of the crystal shop. It's fabulous. It's super queer. It's wonderful. You should go. And, you know, this kind of relates to Mm -hmm. our guests today, who I'm really excited about because one of our listeners sent us this guest uh, and said, you know, this would be someone that I would love to hear on the show, Ro Rose, known on the socials as Queerly Fluid. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we received this suggestion, obviously I went and I looked at Ro's work and I was like, whoa, there's yeah. so much cool stuff here to talk about. So Ro is a coach and erotic steward is something that I saw on their site as how they describe their work. And so they're really integrating sacred practices, healing, and also touch work. Mm. And they do scar care, like post-surgery scar care for queer and trans folks. I think probably anybody, but they specialize in scar care for queer and trans folks. And, you know, when someone is clearly like living their work and their practices, like I just get the sense that Roe is like the real deal. I was really impressed with their platform and all the services that they offer. And so I'm so excited to ask them a million questions. Yeah. I'm interested to know how they, how they define and then carry out erotic stewardship. Yeah. Right. It's a pretty dense, weighty concept and term. A lot of what we're kind of learning this season in a certain way is we're seeing all of these models, and I guess all seasons, we've seen these models of people really having a calling mm-hmm. and kind of inventing offerings in a way, not, you know, out of thin air, but it's like, you know, gender doulas and erotic stewards. I don't know. Yeah. There's a there's a heart-led way. It's almost like I feel like this podcast is such so heart led that it's we're inviting people on that are kind of showing us the way to do heart led work, which we're already it's very meta, like we're doing yeah. it while we're learning about it, you know, so I'm here for it. I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. Let's bring Ro on. Welcome, Ro. We're so excited to have you here on Fuck Yeah. How are you doing today? Brilliant. It's a nice, crisp winter day in Montreal. Oh, that's nice. We want to start with a few warm-up questions that we ask all of our guests. What is the last picture on your phone? Oh, a sex worker friend of mine just had a baby. Um, mm-hmm. And we do a like weekly pleasure practice thing. And they were like, can't make it this week. And there's a beautiful like full breast with the baby <laughs> feeding. Aww. Are you busy? Oh, I love that. Baby gets pleasure <laughs> practice time. 
though. That's right. Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. Who was your first celebrity crush? Similar to most lesbians in the 90s, it was probably Jared Leto. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. Nice. Which Jared Leto? Are we talking about like Fight Club Jared Leto? No, no. Like, um, it's what is it? What was it called? It's a simple life. Or... Oh, my so-called life. Thank you. Once, actually, once I moved to LA and I started meeting like soft butches, I was like, oh, nah, eh. mm. now it makes sense. <laughs> uh, what was your first mode of masturbation, and how old do you think you were? Mm. Oh, I feel like I came to masturbation pretty late. I remember like trying to figure out my hands and being like, I don't know what this is supposed to do. I felt like a robot. And then I had a boyfriend when I was about 16 that was 18. And I was like, went up to it. He, he went up to Atlanta for high school or for college. And I was like, oh, could you buy me a sex toy? And he didn't know what to do. So he came back with a, a rabbit and was like, this is the number one sex toy in America. <laughs> I tried to captain and was like, I don't even, I, I have no idea what to do with this either. So, so yeah, I would have been really intimidated. Oh, I mean, yeah, by a rabbit. It's, it's a lot of hardware, actually, a lot of moving parts. <laughs> yeah, and kind of goofy at the same time. Very. Like it's not that sexy of an item. It's kind no. of like the uh, what's it like Goldberg or you know, like the Pee Wee's breakfast kind of machine of sex toys <laughs> i wrote a tongue-in-cheek um poem about that <laughs> sex toy actually <laughs> do you do you remember any lines of that uh, no it was based off of um another poem where a, a man had been talking about a play toy that he'd gotten for his child and the child ends up loving the play toy more. And so I adapted it to the partner who had picked up a sex toy. Mm. Suddenly she loved the sex toy more than him. And he was mm. he he appreciated the sex toy at first and then he became jealous. <laughs> right. Right. We were uh, chatting before the record, and I was sharing with you that a listener introduced us Mm -hmm. to your work. And when I started looking at all of your offerings, I mean, it is sort of a treasure trove. So I'm going to try to sum up how I understand the work that you do. It seems like you're working in a few different modalities, which you sum up as queer and erotic stewardship, which Mm. oh, I just, I love this idea of using the term steward. So I want to ask about that. But your work appears to me to be grounded in a few things, body work, somatic grounding, and pleasure experiencing as a healing and alignment tool, but specifically with queer people at the center of your work. Yeah, yeah. It's so rich. And I, you know, you, I'm curious how you define this role as steward and how all these different modalities coalesce. I like that question. Uh, I think to start with steward, I think of this as like service of sacred care, like the care of something Mm that's been entrusted to us. And part for me, part of entrustment is like accountability to the responsibility of collaborative actions of care, because I'm working with my clients. They're very much the leader, and I'm simply the guide. For me, acts of service are 
probably my primary love language to speak. Uh, I grew mm-hmm. up a good little white Christian girl in the South who also went to a military school. So it <laughs> set me up for mm-hmm. a path of service. Wow, you know? yeah. One of the values I did decide to keep from all of that. Um, and then the, the different modalities. I mean, I think Audre Lorde has been such a massive influence for me mm-hmm. and the erotic as self-expansion. Um, I think my work is deeply rooted in her understandings of the erotic as being feeling, erotic as feeling, and Mm -hmm. she describes it as unexpressed or unrecognized deep knowledge um, and asks, like, how fully can we feel in the doing, so the action of, and... For me, sacred intimacy work has, it offers a safe space um, in which I get to invite these expressions of feelings uh, to be both mirrored by somebody that, that we've built trust with together and to be embraced and mm. explored without judgment. And the feelings in the doing get woven into the whole heart, mind, and body braid. Um, using somatic awareness and touch that is enthusiastically desired and met. And I think in being able to feel, know, and trust that, it opens up an understanding of possibilities that allows us to imagine differently because we know it's possible. I I often use the word pleasure instead of erotic, and I'm often Mm -hmm. aware about it (laughs) because Mm -hmm. pleasure as a word is more accessible to folks. Um, because mm-hmm. they always have Lord's understanding of the erotic and they immediately go to sexual. And even with the word pleasure, I find people zzz, right over to sexual. Mm-hmm. Um, but I define pleasure simply as what you want to move towards. That's beautiful. Because then it, with sexual, there's so many scripts that we unconsciously start running the moment we hear that. And often that association of pleasure with the sexual is... Uh, we kind of culturally don't allow ourselves to feel much pleasure outside of sexual spaces sometimes, but then it's just a very specific, narrowly defined type of pleasure and way to experience it. If you haven't like started deconstructing that for yourself, if you just go with what society tells you, you're kind of like, it's not that wide of a path, you know? Yeah. And if, if we, you know, following the lines of amazing Black feminist writers, like if we want to make the revolution desirable, then I think pleasure is a is a path that I want to put, you know, cast my vote into. <laughs> so I'm yeah. I'm dropping my water of the ocean into into this path, hoping that you know for some it's it's going to spark. I'm really curious. You do touch work. And I want to talk about that a little bit, but you also mentioned that you were raised in the South um, in a a Christian faith, Mm -hmm. and then you went to military school. So can we just take a moment and can you explain how you, like, what was the um, pivotal Mm -hmm. moment or what caused that transition and that deprogramming from what you had been raised with to now doing touch work and somatic healing and all of these practices. Yeah. Let me boil that one down. I 
when I was 19 in my first year of college, I was in RTC. I was going to go into the military after college um, and had a scholarship through that. And I met my first girlfriend and I thought, no big deal. I, I knew I liked boys. I knew I liked girls, like whatever. So, but it was the first time I was like dating a woman. And I told my father very nonchalantly and he was just kind of like, huh, okay. <laughs> Which is kind of what I expected. Uh, and then I watched as his wife decided that I couldn't come home anymore. Mm. And then my father told me I couldn't call my baby sister I was very close to anymore. And then I watched mm. as all of my friends disappeared and stopped returning my phone calls. And then my girlfriend became very abusive, uh, physically, sexually, emotionally, financially. And... I ended up in a DV shelter and was turned away because I was dating a woman, not a man. Mm. And I ended up in front of a black female judge after being raped by my girlfriend who told me I couldn't have a restraining order because I was in an immoral relationship. Wow. And I looked around and I was like, what the fuck am I doing in Georgia? Yeah. <laughs> I got to get yeah. out of here. So, yeah. Um, and I, I ended up homeless and doing sex work. And it's kind of like I looked at myself and realized that every bone of value and rootedness had been splintered. Mm. And I realized that I didn't have to put it together again the way it had been. And it didn't make mm. sense to because mm -hmm. I couldn't trust that. So I get to now decide something differently. And... And then I figured out how the fuck to do that over the last two decades. <laughs> yeah. So. Wow. That is, I mean, thank you so much for sharing that. That is a really powerful and also just a terribly difficult way to have to come into yourself. Yeah. You, you chose you. I think that's what's really remarkable about that situation is that um, you leaned into yourself rather than the role that everybody wanted you to be playing that you weren't doing correctly. You have a, a gentle joyfulness about you, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm enjoying, I mean, the visuals that you've created, not only on your own body, but, um, it, you know, around you, it's very joyful and full of life and just oozes authenticity. So, I mean, that's a huge um, accomplishment from those roots of, you know, just so much. Thank you. I don't know. Just be, yeah. I remember I had like a mushroom trip at one point from some college students at BU were like mm -hmm. letting me crash on their couch and gave me, <laughs> gave mushrooms without telling me. I remember mm -hmm. oh, always no. staring at the like wallpaper moving. <laughs> mm -hmm. a, a beautiful moment that has stayed with me where I was like, how the fuck can I go through this much pain mm -hmm. and not become hardened the mm -hmm. way that I've seen so many other people around me become hardened? Like, how can I armor myself enough that it doesn't suffocate my softness? And mm -hmm. I really made a commitment in that moment to, like, figure out how the fuck to, like, find that balance. I think softness is a good word for it. Like you have, there's, there's a softness that is very um, comforting. Like there's a strength and vulnerability kind of thing. So that's really wonderful. I'm wondering what your practice looks like in actual 
real life. So these ideas are swirling around. I love all of these things, but it's like, what are we actually talking about in the room with other people or, or via zoom or, or how does, how do people find you? And then what does working with you look like? Yeah. I have to give you a little bit of a, like tiny vignettes because it's a Mm -hmm. bit of a continuum. So, um, I do a lot of work with somatic gendering. So folks who are struggling to be with their gender perceived or understood um, in the Mm -hmm. world. And that is often, um, I have an online course that I ask people to go through first before we work together. And then once we work together, Mm -hmm. um, it's almost only online for those clients because we're not doing any touch work. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of somatic practices and learning to be with what is and learning to recognize the, often the fragility that is at play um, and where we need to resource ourselves to be more resilient, to show up in, in a world that doesn't look like our queer bubble of more safety sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then I have, um, I have clients who are working on, let's say things like solo erotic practices and masturbation mm-hmm. coaching. And that can look like, or learning how to do kink play. We work on, again, kind of the somatic practices of consent, choice and voice, being able to really have an understanding, an embodied understanding of what is our enthusiastic fuck yes versus our like lukewarm yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Often people have a sense of what they need to do, but like actually building it into their lives can be such a struggle. And so- How do we massage it in in a way that we can kind of have it stack it into what we're doing? And then how do we build in support for accountability? How do we be with the traumas that come up, you know, when we're when we're doing that? Um, and, you know, whether it's heart traumas or, or physical traumas. Um, and then I do a lot of uh, scar remediation work. And I started doing this because after my double mastectomy, I just realized, like, we just we don't get care um, after it's like, okay, surgery's done, mm-hmm. moving on. Everything's perfect now. Yeah. And I had several trans feminine lovers who, other than being given a little five page booklet and the dilation set, mm-hmm. no fucking care. And I was, I w- had been, I had some training in scar care. So I started just offering scar care to my friends and then realizing how much body shit they had going on and how much it was affecting their hearts. I went and got more training and was like, okay, like, let's do this because nobody's willing to touch their genital. You know, the massage where Kath and Jesse calls it the donut, where they just like, they don't touch your butt or your genitals, Mm -hmm. you know, and they just everything around. And I was like, fuck that. So um, at the time I was an immigrant in Canada. So I was pretty quiet about what I was doing because it can be seen as sex work. Um, and there's an element in which I'm offering scar care and it happens to be genitals. But the reality is I'm doing it through a, a lens of pleasure. So mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. scar care has to be holistic. You know, whether I'm talking about a cesarean or histo or circumcision, inviting in the entire nervous system to be a part of that. Mm. So if I notice tension coming up, I back away from those areas and we go to other areas where we can invite pleasure in. And that often looks erotic and many times it's sexual. And then when everything softens, we can come back into the scar tissue and go again. Mm. Um, yeah. Oh. And that also like pleasure mapping. 
because so many trans folks, like we've been scared of our bodies, you know, it went from the pathologization of our mind to now it's the pathologization of our fucking bodies. And we've ingested that shit. So like back to like, how do I be with this thing in this thing and love it and embrace it and find pleasure and not be scared of it or blame myself for it. So it's a lot of, you're going to make me cry. Uh, It's like hearing, hearing what you're actually doing is so much more. I mean, I feel like a certain level of healing from like I'm tearing up listening to it because it's almost like a little bit of the, the deconstruction as we keep going and like removing these layers of shame or, and, and taking sexuality and pleasure away from the domination and the power games and the inferiority, you know, all of this and just making it into the space of like, yes, this is your whole body. This is about your identity and who you are as like a soul, a being on this planet. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, and to include your whole self and not be constantly shying away from this or like using it to like get something from somebody like the trust there. You're giving me chills. That's amazing. I held a lot of tears, you know, there's a lot of my hand inside somebody as I'm doing like chest scar massages are wrapped Mm. around sobbing. (laughs) This is, Mm. this is kind of a common occurrence, you know? So yeah. As you are talking, just that soft, gentle touch sounds like it just helps me breathe a little deeper. Yeah, very much this. Yeah, very much. I love when I get um, clients that want to do four-handed massage because there's other somatic sex educators here I'm so thankful to have. And to have somebody else really intimately with somebody and giving them the touch that they're asking for as we're working on scars, you know, just that, man, when do we ever get that much attention, much less, you know, two people, you know, yeah. helping you for traumas. <laughs> I get my ass to Montreal shit. Sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that brings me to um, sex work mm-hmm. because I, you know, I wanted to talk to you about this because it's come up a number of times on the pot like we've talked to a number of guests about sex work and it's you know it's not nine times out of ten but a lot of times when you find people doing really interesting integrated healing body work you discover that they have done sex work at some point or still do sex work right and so you know 100% our stance is that sex work should not be criminalized and I think we've you know, come to the place a couple of times being like, why doesn't insurance cover this? (laughs) Not that we want to, you know, uh, force that bureaucracy on any of the sex workers that are out there. But I'm just curious kind of broadly about your thoughts on sex work and just the movement right now around decriminalizing Mm -hmm. sex work. And then obviously I want to, you know, talk a little more specifically about how like this fine line that you kind of dance between sex work and healing work. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's relative what we define as sex work, you know, and mm-hmm. in California it was um, when I lived there. So five years ago um, it was anything that is bringing sexual gratification. That's <laughs> fine. 
broad. So then you're just at the will of the courts, you mm-hmm. know, just decide like they're going to make it happen. Um, and it, it's pretty similar here. It's uh, criminalized here. A lot of people think it's decriminalized because it was at one point. It is no longer. Um, and whew, that's that's a rough one. I was recently in Spain and um, was so happy that I was like, oh, it's decriminalized. Let me go see some sex workers. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is so beautiful and easeful. I, I was weary about my work when I didn't have my citizenship. I was weary about talking about it. And I completed my citizenship this last summer. So um, I'm not worried about being deported anymore. Than- <laughs> I, don't, I don't care about going to jail. I could care less. But um, I, I'd like to stay where I live. <laughs> so, You're like, just don't send me back to the U.S., please. <laughs> not in this body. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's still not, not so safe. So, yeah. It's interesting because there's the like... If I have a client who comes in who wants to learn flogging and I let mm-hmm. them flog my body and we work on, you know, all, all the touch that goes with the ritual of care beginning to end of such a scene, um, is that sex work? You know, if I'm doing mm-hmm. scar massage uh, with vaginoplasty uh, client, like, is that sex work? Once mm-hmm. I start adding the erotic, well, okay, now. Perhaps now this has crossed the line for sure. If I have a client who comes in who's working on, let's say, anal trauma um, or discomfort and wants to do um, anal massage without penetration, how much further across the line are we now? And when mm-hmm. I have clients that come in that are like, I've, I'm, a, you know, I'm a trans body and I've never been touched in the gendered way that I desire, even by my trans partner, mm-hmm. I want that. And we have sex so that they can feel that in their body and so that they can learn what to ask for, how to ask for it, so that we can role play ways that they can like brush up against the the like grittiness of someone not listening. Um, mm-hmm. so they can learn mm-hmm. to navigate and get what they want in their relationships and in the world. Are we into sex work yet? You know? I'm really understanding the stewardship now. Like I can see how that is like a through line through all of this. Yeah. Or like I consider myself a sex worker because I work in the sex toy industry. I used to be a dominatrix, but, you know, I've not exchanged bodily fluids at any point. But I think it's like it should all be in a way like I don't want to take away from people that are like, you know, doing penetrative sex work and say that I'm in the same category, but I also want to destigmatize that all of this relates to sex. And, you know, it's like with the sex toy industry, there's not a recognition of sex toys. They're either novelties or they're medical devices still to this day. And it's fucking ridiculous. So you're constantly in this gray area, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the, um, you know, you'll get kicked. It's the same thing as with like the marijuana companies where you can't get like credit card processors. Like I was doing Dom work under a massage license, you know? So it's like, what? It's so far reaching. That's just it. It's at what point do you decide it's a slippery slope? So it's like the total lack of recognition of this, of the shadow in sexuality in our culture lives in the shadow. And it's just like, we can't, we can criminalize it, but we won't acknowledge it. And, and what the definition is, like you're saying, you know? Yeah. No, we want to control it. Puritanism is alive and well. Yes. 100%. Living under that fucking pilgrim shadow. It is so interesting, though, because I do feel like 
you are really testing the boundaries of what is sex work, what is, I mean, I'm assuming that sort of the umbrella is sexological body work, but (laughs) it's like, is this sex work? Is this uh, just scar care, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so it's such a different connotation that comes up in your mind when you hear those two things. But actually, when done well, they should overlap. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of gray area. And gosh, the law just does not like gray mm-hmm. area. <laughs> so nosy. <laughs> um, I'm curious how you care for yourself through doing this work, how you stay boundaried and, and honor your own needs. Mm-hmm. Mm. I love that question. It's so important. I think my primary boundary is that everything is for the client. So I don't have a lot of clients that ask for sexological body work because I'm not allowed to do two-way touch. They can't touch me if I do sexological body work. And I think mm. that the bounding, just putting their hand on my thigh sometimes can make all the difference for presence. Mm-hmm. So um, as I always tell clients, like as long as the touch is for you, and we go over a lot of like Betty Martin's wheel of consent stuff. Uh, we do, mm-hmm. we usually do like two hours of just uh, somatic exercises and practices around consent and voice and choice and these kind of things before we ever get to touch. So first of all, it's just like, my clients understanding that yes, it's about their safety and comfort, but it's also about my safety and comfort. And mm-hmm. so both of us learning to trust one another's yeses and nos and practicing those in advance so we can like learn to be with the sensations that might come with that. Um so all the all the touches for them, that helps with the boundaries. And then it's um it's always what they've asked for. So like mm-hmm. somebody like I don't keep client notes. Um, somebody might say, oh, I hate having my feet touched. And I don't need to remember that because I'm mm. never going to touch their feet unless they say, touch my feet. In which case, mm. they decided they want their feet touched. And if I had remembered that, then I might be hesitant. And that might feel like they're going to sense that, right? Mm. So that also is just allowing them to be the leader. My borders or like the places I'm willing to go are based on my my assessment and sense of trust to their access to not just their desire, but to their voice. Tell me yes or no. I also have rituals before and after each session. So before a session, I like two hours before I set up my house and I kind of turn because I, I work out of my house because so much of my healing was done in lesbian living rooms. And I really want to like provide <laughs> similar atmosphere. And so I, I set up my house and get things ready for everybody, even if it's an online client. And then the hour before, I fuck off. Uh, maybe I go mm-hmm. for a walk. Maybe I jack off and shower. You know, maybe I cook. It, just something for me that has nothing to do with them, so that I'm really like centered in me when they show mm-hmm. up, really mm-hmm. present with them. And I, I, I never have a sense of rush um, because they come in so rushed to figure yeah. things out, and I just have to really provide a lot of calm. Um, and meet them where they are and then find our way together. So, and then after this cleanup, then I, I do something artistic. So usually I paint or I, I play on the ukulele or weave or. Oh my God. It sounds like you've integrated your work into your life. Like this is one of the many things that you do that is 
part of caring for yourself, growing as a person, helping community. And it's just, a, you know, you're planning for it, but it's like a smooth movement throughout your day and it's integrated mm-hmm. into that. Yeah. It's really beautiful. I know I love these bookends of the prep and the grounding in yourself and then getting into flow afterwards in a creative practice. I mean, how cool because it just like allows all the energy of the session to move through you and I'm assuming also then move out. So you're not carrying the client yeah. with you. I'm just like, I, this is like, we all need this for our lives. Yeah. <laughs> no That's really like what the work is that we're doing. How does ritual show up in your work with clients? Oh, um, practice, habit, uh, magic, ritual, it, it, all of these words. I think it, it all washes out to setting intentions mm-hmm. and, finding ways to ensure our attention uh, follows this desire. So I always start each session um, with time to talk about what what their intention is and what they're bringing um, in this moment and what they're hoping to take away. And then throughout the whole session, I'm bringing us back to that intention. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a big part. Mm-hmm. And you're creating the space for it for it to be like a, a really safe, like it's that Sarah's talked before about the container that you make in spells and in ritual and everything. And it's that container um, that you can also make of intimacy with other people and the container of trust and everything. And even, um, you know, we were talking about your beautiful ceiling uh, in, in the room that you're in and you were like, oh yeah, I don't want people just staring at the white ceiling you know, it's like you've created an entire like somatic experience down to what they might be looking at in a perspective that you're not going to be sharing with them. It's very thoughtful and kind of all encompassing. It's an entire, again, like encompassing all of the body, including pleasure, including eroticism, if it goes there. But also you're looking at this beautiful purple geode on, (laughs) this is really nice. Yeah, I mean, most of my clients are neurodivergent, and mm-hmm. the the smells, the sounds, the textures, the the visuals, like it's it's so important to asomatic work generally, and also just to to folks who are really affected by these things. And so I mm-hmm. try to make sure that like every single light is on a dimmer. I make sure to show them that, and I encourage people. We do a lot of like orienting to my space when folks first start to come see me, um, and I really encourage people like open things up, feel this and feel that. Okay, this one you don't like, and I've got a big bowl of like fidget toys I pull out for them, and <laughs> I have a little game where I try to guess, you know, silently like, ooh, which is the fidget toy they're going to touch first if it's like a new <laughs> client. <laughs> Wow. Meeting people where they are actually, it's a big deal. Yeah. Asking them to be somewhere they're not. Like if they yeah. come not calm, that's fine. I'm going to be calm, but they don't need to be, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Do you have a, I mean, I'm just loving all of these practices and care that you give yourself as well. And so I'm curious if you have a simple exercise or practice that you share with clients for just feeling into yourself. My nervous system is pretty fucking upbeat. Um, (laughs) Hyperactivity and a lot of fucking trauma. Um, I'm moving at a very high 
<laughs> rate of speed most of the time. And when I'm not still and fully present, um, that velocity and chaos really lives um, like a live wire in me. And I so often find that is similar in a lot of my clients. So I love to offer practices that help us kind of meet ourselves where we are. Because I, when I first started getting into somatics, I just felt like it was nice white lady somatics that was like, okay, mm. this is how we put ourselves back in our gilded cage. Good for mm. I was like, oh, yeah. fuck this noise. <laughs> like, where did you yes. get that? <laughs> like, let me guess. Um, so I kind of, I just say fuck off <laughs> with that. <laughs> you know, yeah. I got plenty of those and they are helpful, definitely. And I really love to also invite in more elasticity because ideally we can like run along this whole line of, of you know, very actively engaged and calmer and engaged. <laughs> right? mm -hmm. So. Um, I love exercises like shaking, um, where you just like shake your toes, shake your fingers, shake your legs, shake your arms, shake your body, you know, just like the, the wiggling it out. And I've got several different like texture mats that I pull out. And so I let people choose what texture they want to like wiggle on, which is really adorable. And I often find that just by like acknowledging that they're nervous, you know, or they had a rough day or whatever it is, um, and that that's okay, and that's invited, and we can be right there with it, you know. And I always do the practices with them. I love those. I, I There's a thing going on TikTok right now, or at least on the side of TikTok I'm on, where it's like the opposite of dysregulation. Did I already say this? I think I said it to my therapist this morning. The opposite of dysregulation is not control. It's not being neutral. It's self-expression. Being able to, and I think that's a big part of what consent is. It's being able to freely express yourself and be heard. Mm -hmm. And to you're basically, you're offering up so much choice for people to express themselves. Oh, and you just offer such a great space for people to actually express their true selves. Like true, true. You're, you're like, no, we're not quite there yet. I feel like you're like, <laughs> there's so many layers of trueness, right? We just keep digging. And it sounds like you're still digging for yourself as well, like with your own anxieties. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My go-to is the Charleston. If I'm really activated and angry, I, I go directly to the Charleston. <laughs> I love yeah, that so much. My, my throat tightens up. As soon as I'm like actually angry, my throat tightens up and I can't speak yes well and then yeah. that you know like there's a whole wall of shame that can come with that but if I just yeah. start letting myself do the Charleston all of a sudden I'm like blah 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 blah, blah and I can like get out the words they just come it's fucking awesome so yeah find, finding what we need for ourselves you know so. I feel very connected to you right now <laughs> Sorry, yeah, so, <laughs> I love it. This is, I mean, how can people find you? How can they work with you? What do you have coming up? Yeah, uh, I do a monthly scar care drop-in online um, for queer people. So any, any scars, place to pop in for, um, for free, just to talk to um, me and Coda Rook, uh, who's a RMT registered massage therapist here, and um, also does a lot of uh, transcar work. And we invite pleasure in the ways in which we engage with these physical manifestations of our traumas and support people kind of figuring out how, how they want to begin that path. 
And then I have a monthly solo pleasure drop-in online as well with Rainfire Grace, another somatic sex educator. Actually, both of them are for gender non-conforming folks. Um, that's all about like how do we engage with ourselves with the erotic, you know, from wherever we're beginning, you know, it's, um, yeah. And then I have an online um, class somatic gendering that's available via my website. And if, if for folks who do that, then I'm, I'm willing to work with them around um, gender doula stuff at that point. And then at Queerly Fluid, uh, YouTube and Instagram, probably the most active um, and my website. So I, I love doing intensives. They're my favorite when somebody wants to come in from out of town and do an intensive, whether it's one day or, or a weekend here in Montreal, like that's, Ooh, that's some deep holding work right there. It's fucking mind blowing. So, well, we might be knocking on your door in Montreal. Sometimes. Hey. <laughs> this was so lovely. Thank you for spending this time with us. And we certainly hope that listeners find you. Um, thank you for inviting me. Absolutely beautiful. I've had such a blast reading through or listening through your podcast. And yeah, I was really excited to chat. Oh, thank you. So Sarah, I mean, where do we start with that? I, there's, it hit me in the heart so hard that whole conversation. But I don't know what what's what's stuck with you from that. There are, I think, a number of things that are gonna sort of settle in and integrate. Mm -hmm. The first things that come to my mind are the mention of the lesbian living rooms. Mm -hmm. Like I was just there, you know, and I, I just like I got dropped into the lesbian living rooms of my youth and just mm -hmm. realizing, I think that Roe and I are peers. Yeah. Um, obviously like I was coming into my sexuality in Oregon, they were coming into their identity in Georgia. So like different lived experiences, but a lot of their references were really pinging for me. And I guess I, wasn't expecting that. Mm -hmm. It was just sweet for me because obviously all of that was really meaningful kind of early life training. It touched my heart in the moment because in my present moment, because I'm, I'm really feeling a lot of, you know, rejection in my life. And my feeling right now is like, to a much lesser extent of what Roe went through with just the utter rejection that they faced for just yeah. coming out as lesbian, you know, in the freaking 2000s, you know? So that's very intense. But um, I, I'm feeling, I'm trying to deal with rejection right now. And I'm noticing like, oh, but there's this group of people that my whole life in one form or another have always been there. Like I've had connections to lesbian communities mm -hmm. throughout, like even when I was a teenager, like I'm magnetically attracted to lesbians. Now I know a little bit more why <laughs> as I'm revealing myself to myself, but it's like, I want to now like go to where the love is rather than desiring a love that I've never been able to obtain you know, mm -hmm. but the love's always been there. I haven't been able to obtain 
a depth of intimacy and a right, recognition right, right. of myself for who I am rather than the role <laughs> I can play. And I think there's yeah. nothing like lesbians <laughs> to really see you, um, especially when you're struggling with just being yeah. someone, you know, born into this body in the patriarchal world. It's like a safe haven. Like the lesbian living room is a comforting little phrase. Yeah, yeah. That feels like um, a movement or something. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of phrases that were pretty oh, great. So many. And they talked about boundaries, but boundaries and borders. Yeah. And I was like, ah, that's it right there. Like that's the deep integration of consent knowledge, mm. of understanding that like, we create these containers that have, you know, a fence or a parameter around them, but there are the borders on the edge. Mm. And that space kind of in those borders are the softer boundaries of like, no, we can enter into this territory. We have to do it with care because this is going to be a space of discomfort, of growth, of like, we've got to take our time. We've got to be really intentional about it. That was just what came out of that for me. And I just... I, I really think we should have Roe back for a whole yeah. episode just on consent. Yes. Yes. I am living for consent, like the depth of consent right now. I am just here for it. And I, I loved what they brought to the conversation. So I've actually been kind of collecting a few things that I've just been hearing from TikTok. I need to like get better about writing down who which takes, but I, I will get into like really fast, like ADHD doom scrolling. And I just, nope, 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 nope. One thing that I've, I, I have a mentality around TikTok that I just want to know if other people have this or and it, pass this advice along. If you don't want to see more of something, you got to swipe. You know, and that's how you really refine it. This one might be interesting, but if you don't want a lot of alligator videos, if you don't want a lot of football replays or whatever, just keep going, just keep going, you know, but then you get like really refined into like your selection. But so anyway, I'm, I'm in a lot of like, um, you know, uh, deconstructing compulsory heterosexuality stuff. And um, there's certain phrases that have been really sticking with me. So I'm just want to do a little segment. Maybe this can be a, the more you know. The more you fucking know. First, a couple comp het deconstruction phrases that I want to just say to you. Okay. Sexy, right? Versus sexual. Am I feeling sexual? Am I a sexual being or am I, am I a sexy person? Am I a sexy woman or whatever? Mm -hmm. So it's like sexy. It's great to feel sexy. It's great to feel attractive. But a lot of times we're going for this goal of being sexy rather than, you know, like women are sexy, men are sexual. So they get to sit in the sex mm -hmm. sexualness. And we get to attract that sex sexualness. Yeah, there's a groundedness in sexual and sexy mm -hmm. feels surface. Yeah. I mean, when applied to people, some there's the, there are ways that you can use the term sexy that feel different to me, but it does feel more like a surface. I mean, there's those times where you just feel in your body sexy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But then there's times where you're like trying to be sexy. Yeah, yeah. Or you're supposed and I just, to be sexy. Right. Yep. And I'm kind of done being sexy. I am sexual. Yes. But I will, I will, 
I'll decide if you're sexy for once. Okay. <laughs> okay what's the next Not one? You. Not you, but others. Okay. My body is for looking at versus my body is for living in. So this is like a phrase to consider when you're maybe criticizing your body or thinking poorly of yourself, thinking you should lose weight or you should modify yourself in different ways in order to be pleasing to other people's eyes. Your body is not here to be looked at. It is here to live in. And so kind of centering yourself from that position. Here's the thing that my mind does. I mean, I love that, but I am Mm -hmm. so deeply ingrained in this looking at thing that I just even noticed it in myself of like, except I have to live in my clothes. And when my clothes don't fit, I don't like living in my body. Yeah. Well, and that's your comfort, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, but it's like your clothes are there to serve you. Your body's not there to serve your clothes. Yep. So your body doesn't need to fit into your clothes. Your clothes need to fit your body. Yep. And I think that's where we get fucked up about it. I need to be a size two, mm. you know? No, or it's like your body the is the size. That your mom told you about legs, like what was it supposed to touch? Your, your legs are supposed to touch at three different spots, at your crotch, at your knees, and at your ankles, uh, and they should yeah. not touch anywhere else. Uh, okay. Oh <laughs> okay. My legs are for transporting me from place to yeah. place. They're for feeling and for sensing, you know, and for living in, not for looking at. It doesn't matter where they touch. Okay. So I did bring up one of them that's on my list already, but the opposite of dysregulation. And this is getting more into somatic side of TikTok rather than the comp pet side. Um, The opposite of dysregulation is self-expression. That was, I loved that, that you brought that up. I love that so much. I've been living by that since I heard it. I'm just like, oh, thank you. Because it is not being calm. We're constantly trying to be calm. Control. Calmness is that's about control. Yeah. And your body does not want to be controlled. It wants to express itself. And that's why I'm in this mindset. I can feel all of my growth in the deconstruction. It's moving towards authenticity. And it's like if the self, if the expression of self is the opposite of dysregulation, it's like, I think that might be part of why we're here. Mm-hmm. You know, I there's something in there where I'm like, this might be the meaning of life is authenticity mm-hmm. and continuing to strive for it. At least that's where I'm at now. <laughs> well, and I also loved that Ro called out that their kind of status quo in their body is not like they're not calm necessarily like mm-hmm. they're kind of a more sped up person so the thing that actually gets them back to an equilibrium and a balance is doing the charleston and it's so funny because like yes. this comes up all the time like andrea can nap like nobody's business andrea's state of calm and my state of calm like we actually literally operate on different pace paces like yeah. i am fast mm-hmm. andrea is mm-hmm. slow and measured mm-hmm But I like that idea of like not trying to work towards like calm and slow, although certainly I do try to slow things down sometimes, but to work towards self-expression. What is going to make me feel? Because for me, when I think of that, my chest Mm -hmm. is open. Like it's an openness. It's not necessarily a calmness. Right. Right. And then you could use that high energy that you have 
towards that self-expression. And then that feels like a really wonderful way to get that energy out rather than maybe telling yourself to not be so high strung or try to stop it or try to use it towards things that aren't bringing you joy, you know. Yeah, when they when they said that they're running high in there, I was like, oh, that's really nice to hear because you can see that they've set up an entire way of life in order to kind of balance that for themselves and that they're also struggling internally. All right, last one. And this one gets me, okay? Okay. (laughs) I'm ready. And it's not true for everything, okay? Of course, we have oppressive forces that are different, okay? But in general, everything you want is on the other side of embarrassment. Huh. Or I would add to that, everything you want is on the other side of fear, you know? So you have, um, and, and of course, and so when I'm saying, of course, there's like systems of oppression and all of these things, you can't just, you know, everything you want. But when, when I take that phrase in about the things that I want, the things that, you know, I get a lot of anxiety sometimes editing this podcast. Hmm. I'm listening to my own voice, sometimes looking at my own face, you know, and trying to decide like what to keep and what to get rid of at the same time that I'm doing a lot of work in therapy around improving my Mm self-esteem. And I'll go down sometimes of just being like, my inner critic getting so loud. And so I have to actively, and it's good for me, it's difficult sometimes that I have to actively say, you know, you, you deserve to also be heard. What you're saying isn't stupid. It's not, you know, all these things that I'll say to myself. You know, okay. So here's how I interpret that because at first it didn't land for me, but Mm -hmm. I, I think that here's how I can take it in is like Mm -hmm. anything that's worth doing is worth Mm -hmm getting silly over or being embarrassed about or just being your authentic self. And if it doesn't land for people, then like, that's Mm -hmm. fine. You know, being willing to be vulnerable Mm -hmm. is, that's it, is what is kind of the key to getting what you really want, desire. I think, yeah, that's a better way of putting it of like, um, it, it is like the, the things that are walling you up that you're guarded about are stopping you from yeah. doing yeah. things, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so by putting yourself out there, even if maybe it will be embarrassing, but I, I saw one thing where it's like embarrassment's actually the shortest lived mo- um, emotion that we have. Mm. The other ones can really stretch out, but embarrassment tends to be a quick one. Mm. You get embarrassed and then uh, you might have shame about it later or something, but the embarrassment's fairly quick. Yeah. And then you've, you've, that's where the growth is. I mean, I think embarrassment is that boundary place sometimes too in our lives where the fence is close, but the growth kind of happens yeah. when you get close to the fence, you know? Oh, yeah. I can say fuck yeah to that. Oh, and I loved Ro so much. Yeah. Ro was wonderful. Gotta... I love you. I love doing this with you. Oh. I love our listeners. If you, haven't yet, please make sure to give us a rating and a review. It would mean a lot to us. You can find us on TikTok and Instagram at fuckyeahpod. You could email us at fyeahpod at gmail.com. Look when you email us and suggest a guest. We try to get them on. We listen. And you guys have great suggestions. 
Really good suggestion. Thank you. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Bye. Yeah Podcast is hosted and produced by Robin Jennings and Sarah Tom Chesson, aka my mom. Theme music is by She Her Sir. Segments are voiced by Kristen Smith Davis. If you're enjoying the pod, please subscribe and leave us a rating or review. And don't forget to share with a friend. You can email us at fyapod at gmail.com or follow us on TikTok or Instagram at fuckyapod. Thanks for tuning in.